Bring them out. Bring them out. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I have the queen, Kelly, sitting next to me today. Welcome. Thank you. So happy to be here. You're finally in my home. Yes. I've been finally waiting. doing this. This has been the most anticipated podcast record. Yes. How are, how are you? I'm good. I am fresh off of a birth. Fresh off a birth. Yes. Bun is out of the oven. <laughs> out of the oven just over 24 hours ago. Not even 24 hours old. So yeah. did you give birth? I did not. Do people <laughs> need to know what I do? I think so. I am a birth doula primarily, and I'll explain what that is for those who don't know. I'm also a postpartum doula and an educator. So what I mean by when I say like I'm just fresh off of a birth, I, as a labor doula, support people who are birthing. So I was with a client and I got to know her over the course of her pregnancy, her and her partner, and this particular client was expecting a first baby. So I did a lot of education classes for them too. And then once they get home, I will do postpartum support. So that's just helping them transition to life with a newborn in the home. That's so so amazing and so necessary, yet kind of taboo. Taboo. That's a don't you Great think? way to put it. I just think that we, our society doesn't have a really great grasp of what is really involved in postpartum recovery and what life really should look like. And what I mean by saying should is that we have to slow down. We have to allow the body to rejuvenate and heal. And that's just the body side, not to mention the major life transition that you've gone through emotionally, mentally. You know, your partner's going through a whole other transition on their own. If you have a partner, if you're doing this on your own, then there's all of that that goes with it. So taboo, maybe, I think it's just still not well understood. It's really well understood in other parts of the world. Americans just need a little more time, apparently. Do you feel like doula support is drawn from particular cultures? Absolutely. Yes, is the short answer. Different parts of the world that are are still living in a more tribal society. So that might be, you might see that in different parts of the United States for sure, but certainly globally, you know, in, in many areas throughout Africa, through Central America, you will see more doula support. In, the, in Asian cultures, you'll see that as well. And so it might not be like an actual title. It maybe isn't something where you're making money and and making a living of it, but there there are doulas that are coming alongside and supporting throughout the pregnancy, labor, delivery, postpartum journey. And um, could that role be filled by somebody in your family? Absolutely. So a lot of times you see that as the, you know, the many aunties, whether blood related or not, it might be your neighbor, it might be your actual auntie, your grandma, your sister, your best friend that comes alongside and is that emotional support for you throughout pregnancy, throughout that labor and delivery process. And especially in the black community, there's many doulas that don't even maybe know what the word doula means, but we're, we are doula-ing people. We are caretakers and nurturers and we feed people and we bring them, you know, the care package after they've had a surgery or after they had a baby or we come in and we take care of the older kiddos when mama's had a surgery or bringing newborn home. For sure, there are different pockets throughout the United States, throughout the world that are just naturally doing this. um, And it's the only way they know. And there might be a name for it, but many times there's not. I love that because it's so embedded in their culture, in their family systems, that there's somebody there. I say this all the time, but I feel like we are just doing it backwards. So much of how we support pre and postpartum. It's just insane. It's insane to me. Well, and 
there's all different ways of defining the word support, right? But really, that population is quite unsupported. We think that, you know, you just are supposed to go through this pregnancy time and, and it's just like this time of bliss and you're glowing and you're creating new life and you love it and you feel amazing, which oftentimes is not the case. And then you have the baby and then, you know, you might get some leave. You might get six weeks. You might get two weeks. You might get 12 months. Like, we don't know, but we expect a lot of like the bounce back, right? So bounce back to pre baby body, bounce back to your jolly self, bounce back to like what life was like, your normalcy was like before baby, but something major just happened. A whole new human is on the planet because you birthed it. You are now a new human. And it doesn't matter if this is baby one or baby 10, like you are drastically changed every time. Mm, Every time. Every time. It's amazing to think about that you can create an entirely new living, independent organism just from what you already have inside of your body. Mm. So you're not taking any and anything that necessarily is creating life inside of you. You are just doing that with or without supplementary support, which is kind of mind fucking blowing. There's no kind about it. And not only do you create that human being, but you create an organ for it. And then your body knows to get rid of it. Mm. And no matter how many, like if you're having multiple, so you're having three babies, there's also three Three placentas placentas in there. I mean, sometimes there's like twins might share, Mm -hmm. but mostly three babies, three organs, one baby, one organ. Phenomenal. Tell us about the placenta and why you think it's so fascinating or why it is so fascinating. It is so fascinating. So, you know, our body knows to create a whole other organ organ to support this brand new human and it starts forming so often before we even know that we've missed a period or know to even take a pregnancy test right the placenta is starting to form as is the baby starting to form it is the lifeline I mean I wish you could see Marina's face right now she's like (laughs) bursting with giddiness Um, I am very much talking with my hands too because I'm really excited about this topic So yeah, our body knows to create that. And then that is the lifeline for baby. You know what we talk about? We have to be mindful of what we're ingesting in pregnancy, right? Whether it's smoking, alcohol, food, whatever, all of that. There's a direct hit to baby going through the placenta a little different than how they are affected by something if you're breastfeeding. And yes, things go through the breast milk, but it's not as direct a line as what you eat or drink or inhale mm-hmm. going through the placenta. So that's it's a major, major filter too, right? So the way that the body knows to create that creates a placenta just the right size for that mama and baby. And then after baby is delivered, the uterus knows to contract and expel the placenta because we're like, okay, done with that. It's not meant to stay in there. It definitely has a shelf life. It's meant for that specific baby. And it's roughly within 30 minutes or so that the body is like, hmm, baby is out. I think we're ready to get rid of this. You know, there are there are times where sometimes baby comes out and placenta falls right out. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes there's some complications or it just might be the uterus taken its sweet time. It might look like it's a little bit longer than the 30 minutes um, that the placenta is delivered, but the body knows to get rid of it. I saw this really funny joke that said, I didn't know babies were born with parachutes. Absolutely. <laughs> it is a parachute. It looks like a parachute. And I love when the nurses are, when I'm at a hospital and the nurse are, the nurse is like, hey, do you want to come over and have a placenta tour? Which is what they call it, where they're just like, you know, they put the placenta in a basin, whether you're going to save it for, you know, postpartum use or not. They put it in a basin and they inspect it. And they first want to make sure that it's in one intact piece so that you don't have retained placenta, which is really toxic problem. 
after birth. So they'll just show you like, this is what the maternal side looks like. And that side is really gnarly because it detached from the side of the uterus. Then they'll show you the baby side, which is really smooth and beautiful. If the membranes are still intact, they'll kind of separate those and show you, show you where the cord was inserted. It's fantastic. That's so amazing. And I'm not a placenta professional or an encapsulator or anything. Maybe that's the person you should have on next, but it's amazing to me. And what you just hinted on is some people use the placenta for post labor uses. Yeah such as encapsulation because it's so nutrient rich and so many vital nutrients that the placenta can offer a supplemental form of support. Support, yeah. Encapsulation would be the most common way that it's used postpartum. And just funny fact, like yesterday I left the hospital with somebody's placenta on ice and I put it in my front seat and I buckled it in and I drove it, (laughs) I drove it to the encapsulator, which is not always what I do as a doula, but I was just like doing everybody a favor. And I was like, this is interesting. But yeah, that's the most common way it's used encapsulation. How the heck did you become a doula? Hmm. Ever since I was 10, I've been fascinated by all things babies, pregnant bellies, mamas carrying babies, right? So I stumbled upon my parents' copy of A Child is Born. I think it was like printed in the 70s or so. And I was like, what is happening? And it was the, if you haven't seen that book, it's the kind of the old school, like what a camera would look like, like looking in the uterus or looking at the stages of development of the fetus and just mind blown. And certainly my poor parents were not ready for this 10-year-old Kelly to be like, what's going on? We hadn't had the birds and the bees talk. And I wasn't even like real concerned about like how the baby got in there. I just was fascinated by what was going on. And then when we would go to pediatric visits or if I would have to tag along for an OB visit, you know, or a gynecologist visit with my mom is I would just be like staring at the pregnant bellies and mom be like, stop it. Like that's awkward. So pregnant mama brings her toddler into the pediatric office. She's sitting right next to me and I'm just obsessed. So all I knew when I was a young kid about how I could access this was to be an OBGYN. So that was my dream for years. And then as I got into high school, math and science were not my forte. And also all I knew then was go into medicine, have to do lots of math and science. Okay, that's not my strong suit. I don't also know if I want to be in school forever. So I guess there's just no place for me. Now I'm like all about it as an adult, but then it was a very different mindset. So, you know, high school self is just like, well, this is not for me. Like there's not a place for me. So this is going to be like a hobby. And so as a high schooler, as a young college girl, no prospective boyfriend, no family in the the picture my girlfriends would be like why are you always in the aisle at Barnes and Noble that's like parenting and pregnancy like making fun of me (laughs) I'm like it's just amazing why don't you want to know what's going on with your body when you make a baby and then you know I did meet my now husband and we were deciding to have a family and I had a couple friends that were married and having kids just a couple years ahead of us and those were my guides that did birth differently they did hospital they did home they did wife they did doula they had all of these different um, forms of support different routes of how they got from conception to holding baby in their arms and that's where I learned about doulas. It's where I learned about home birth midwifery or just midwifery in general. I learned about water birth and hypnobirthing and all of these different ways to get to the outcome or have the experience with the outcome that you desire. And I didn't really pursue the doula work, the labor doula work until kids were a little 
bit older. So I've been doing all of this work as postpartum doula, labor doula, and educator for eight years. The labor doula is actually the, the training and the, the official title that I brought on last because I was a stay-at-home mom to our two children and I didn't want to be living the on-call life when they were really little. I wanted them to not only just be physically bigger, but also just mentally, emotionally a little bit more stable so that if they didn't see me for 48 hours or if at the drop of the hat, you know, the neighbor had to pick them up from school, they'd be stable. They'd be mm-hmm. okay. And they are, my daughter especially, our daughter who is 13 is like a little doula in training. She's always texting me when I'm at a birth and send mama my love and good luck and checking <sighs> up and wants to know baby's name and all the stats and loves to see the pictures. And my son too is very attuned to all of that. So growing up with a birth worker mom is not your average childhood for sure. And my husband and I would joke that it was like, you know, take your daughter to work day when we were growing up in the 90s and we're like that's not happening like I'm not bringing you to a lactation visit or a birthing space but you get to learn all about it you know after the fact yeah I can imagine the highs are very high in this line of work as well as you experience a lot of immediate gratification in this work it's so impactful and also she's working with these moms for the most part for how many months prior to birth oh my gosh I mean sometimes they I swear they call me as they pee on the stick (laughs) So, I mean, it's my preference to get, a, a, to learn about a client and learn, you know, get with them earlier on because that's more time for us to form a relationship. So I would say on average, I'm with them six months, six months of their pregnancy. What does that look like? The process of me being your doula? Yeah. Or... What does that look like prior to labor? What yeah. is that relationship? Sure. So every, you know, every doula kind of runs their business differently, but I like to tell people I'm a very in touch doula. So what I mean by that is I am, you're not going to hire me on, you know, at month three. And then I just am like here and there until See baby the birth. comes. No, that's not me. And I think there are some practice, some people who practice that way. It doesn't feel right to me to do that. I wouldn't want somebody coming to me in such a vulnerable transitional space and be like, I've only talked to you over text or I've only seen you on Zoom a couple times. So, you know, as much as possible, I'm checking in with them after every prenatal visit and it's monthly in the beginning and then it's every other week and then it's weekly. Sometimes they're high risk, they're going a lot more often than that or they're having non-stress tests or ultrasounds. And so I'm, I'm getting those dates and those details on my calendar so that I can check in with them if they're not in the habit of checking in with me right after the appointment. And I have different tiers of packages that I offer my clients, but there are different numbers of prenatal visits that we have. So those are about 90 minutes long each time. And so that's just kind of like you and I are doing. We're getting to know each other. There's intake forms that I get a lot of that kind of demographic baseline. What are your hopes for this pregnancy type of information? Or is this your first pregnancy? Or let me know why you're hiring me. What are some of the most common reasons an individual wants to hire a doula? Yeah. You know, sometimes people, I think a lot of people still think, oh, you're a doula, so you go to home births. And that's not the case always. So yes, doulas go to home births. Some doulas do just home. Some doulas do just hospital. I love birth all the ways. So I will go all the places. So doula does not equal home birth, nor does it equal midwife. A lot of times people think doulas and midwives are the same things, not the same. And we can, we can dissect that a little bit later. So I started to say like doulas are often equated with home birth. Some people do desire home birth, but maybe for medical reasons, financial reasons, maybe just proximity of being accessible to a home birth midwife, they can't do it at home. So they're going to be in a hospital. And so they might hire a doula to have something that's as 
home-like. Doula is helping create an environment that's as home-like and peaceful and intervention-free as possible while still being within the four walls of a hospital. Many of my clients reach out to me just because they know that I am a particular doula that also just involves a ton of education. Whether they choose to take education classes from me or not, I don't know how to not educate. I am somebody who is making sure along the way that you know what those tests mean that they're they're suggesting or that you know what these terms mean when we're in the throes of labor and everything in between. I will bring on the, the various family members to make sure that they are understanding of what's going on. And if somebody is going to be laboring, let's say with a partner and their mom, then I want that mom and partner to be part of at least one prenatal too so that I, they can ask me their questions. I can get to know them so that I'm not just this foreign face when it's time to have a baby. Yeah, there are lots of different reasons why they approach doulas. And then a big reason, you know, I am a black doula. Many black clients contact me because of the awful black maternal health crisis that we have in the United States, but even more specifically here in Ohio. And they want somebody who looks like them that has been through more births than them, who will help advocate and help speak up when something's not right. So that's a big reason. The advocacy piece feels so important yeah. for so many reasons, especially because a lot of times you might feel like you're a passenger alongside your birth experience instead of you being the individual birthing. Perfect. And the yeah. doula knows the language, the culture, the formalities involved in which they can insert themselves on behalf of the mother's best interests. For sure. And a lot of times a partner might not know exactly how to be that person, although they have every intention. Sure. But the doula is there for the mother. For sure. And I love what you mentioned about the partner because many of the clients that I engage with, if they have a partner, I mean, they are there 110%, you know, but so there's, there's what's happening to the birthing person. And maybe they have just been educated because they know what's going on with their body in the context of prenatal visits or just reading or whatever. And it's happening to them right in the, in the midst of pregnancy and labor. But sometimes it takes that partner a long time to come on board. It's sometimes it's not until the baby's out and has been here a couple months before they really realize oh okay this is life now and then they're also watching that person that they love go through pregnancy and labor and it can feel a little bit like a deer in a headlights moment so they're on board and they know what she wants or doesn't want or might know the allergies that she has to certain medications but they're just kind of shell-shocked and not quite knowing how to articulate everything so I love how you said sometimes or many times um, pregnant people can feel like a passenger along the way. And I like to tell people that I'm not a doula that's going to come in and speak for you. I don't believe that that's appropriate, quite frankly. And advocacy is one of those words that I feel a little bit cringy about when it's associated with doula work because many doulas do say, well, I'm going to be your voice. I'm your voice. And that's, I think, all good and well-intentioned. But my goal throughout the course of their pregnancy and our relationship building is to get them to a place where they remember that they have a voice and that they use it. And then I just come along and maybe help amplify it a little bit. Snaps from I Kelly. might like echo it a little bit and make sure, or rephrase it in a way because I've been here, done that millions of times. Okay, doctor, did you hear what she said? Just making sure we understood you. This is exactly why I have you on the podcast <laughs> oh, right now. Because you. oftentimes the more people know about a subject, 
the less they speak in absolutes. And so far, you have navigated yourself on the spectrum of not labeling so much or categorically Mm. compartmentalizing certain things. And it feels that you're really in the fluid nature of what it's like to be a birth worker. Yeah. And I also- And you're not on this power complex. I'm not on a power complex. So I feel like I should have these little, um, I have these catch, not catchphrases, but these phrases that I say in every interview with somebody or, you know, you have to give that 60 second elevator pitch. Like I say a lot of these one liners in it, but another thing that I say all the time, which ties perfectly with what you were mentioning is that I'm not a doula with an agenda. Mm. There are people who are out there and they only want to support a certain type of birth and that's fine for them. But like I said, it originates to that 10 year old little self that was just like mind blown by the majestic body and what we do. So I just want to get around that as much as possible, but that doesn't feel right for every type of birth worker. But I'm not a person coming in there with an agenda. I'm not trying to rewrite maybe your previous birth experience, certainly not trying to rewrite my own. And I think some people are maybe in birth work for some of the maybe not so healthy reasons. Maybe they had some traumatic experiences of their own and they're trying to quote unquote save the world and make everybody else's experiences what they couldn't cultivate for themselves. I feel sad for those people and potentially their clients because I I feel like I'm a chameleon and I maybe I need to come up with a better word, but I'm a chameleon in the best sense of the word as a birth worker because I do morph with my client. So I'm going to serve you in one way and then your neighbor a different way. And then somebody, you know, two years later in a very different way, I'm still the same Kelly. I'm still staying true to my love of things and, and um, staying within my scope of practice, but never does my support look the same. And because no one client looks the same, no one. The ultimate gift. That is the ultimate gift. Also adaptability is the number one marker of survivability, not power, Mm. not strength, not intelligence. What you had mentioned about about finding a different word besides chameleon. You're Mm. adaptable. There you go. And it takes a very grounded person with confidence in their abilities to be adaptable. It's hard to be adaptable because that means you have to have a lot of trust and a lot of faith. Yeah. And I mean, that's so, I'm so glad you're like bringing up these things that I want to talk on because what more intimate, vulnerable stage in our life do we have when we are bringing forth a new human? So that's another reason why I want to know them as soon as possible and, and get in relationship with them because they have to trust me. And I'll touch now on what I had said earlier about doulas and midwives are not the same. The easiest way or kind of funny way I know to explain how doula support and midwifery support is, is that doulas don't do anything on the inside of the body, right? Right? So I'm not putting my hand up anywhere. I'm not do, I'm not palpating your ab- abdomen. I'm not listening for fetal heart tones. I'm not doing cervical checks. I'm not catching the baby. I work alongside midwives, whether at home or a hospital or something. You know, and there's various tiers of midwives and they have varying levels of medical training. And doula support definitely looks really different from that. If you are doing a home birth, let's say with midwives, there's usually two midwives. And so certainly throughout the the labor, they're assisting, they're both assisting the birthing person, right? But when baby comes, then one midwife is only for mama and one is mostly paying attention to baby. So in that aspect, if you were at home with two midwives that you saw throughout your prenatal visit, so you're, you know, getting those visits with both of them and then throughout your labor, 
a doula, they, they kind of might take on a role like a doula, a support person, um, where the other midwife is maybe the lead and they're doing more of the medical intervening in the process. But I was going, I was thinking about trust and like building trust. It's just another reason that I want to build a relationship with families early on because they have to trust me. The mm-hmm. partner has to trust me. And they, they also put just a lot of faith or trust in me that I know how to navigate the various medical systems. And, the, and I don't say navigate it in like a deceitful way, but I know how to kind of roll with the punches. This is happening to them. Oftentimes my clients are first time families. And so they are just taking in a lot of information and processing a lot. And so to have a trusted guide along the way that has not only done this few times as on my own, you know, having given birth, but also countless clients and different hospital systems, different home birth situations, different providers, different nurses, different seasons of the year, different seasons of life throughout a pandemic or pre and post pandemic, all of that. They, they get all of that wisdom and experience from me. And I don't take for granted that they trust me as a guide, that they, they do trust me and they want my two cents and then some and that they continue to contact me after baby comes or after that postpartum service is over because they learn that I'm a credible provider in town. My interests in, go in many different ways and my education goes, you know, follows those different paths of interest. And they know that by contacting me or, you know, partnering with me, it's, it's a pretty well-rounded form of care. If that makes sense. Mm, yeah, it makes perfect sense. How much of the birth experience are you tapping into the laboring individual's energy? Mm. Because birth is can be slow, it can be fast, it can be dramatic, it can be yeah. lethargic. Can we talk a little bit about that? And yeah. with that, I'm asking because a lot of times we have this preconceived notion about water breaks, dilation happens, baby is delivered. If delivery or if labor isn't progressing, we move to C-section. I am more familiar with that progression of birth from movies and TV and anecdotal stories than what your experience might be. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you perceive the birth progression. You're mentioning of like, you know, TV is a movies. I tell people all the time, anything you've seen, especially in a sitcom, just chuck that. Like that's nothing realistic. (laughs) Sometimes a movie might get it a little bit better, but usually not. And what you're saying about like water breaks, dilation, baby comes. Okay. It's less than 15% of people have water breaking as the first sign of labor. So less than 15 percent people. So that's not something that is widely known, right? There are different ways that labor can begin. And when you ask me about tapping into that pregnant person's energy, it really depends on how labor began. Is it their first baby? Is it their eighth baby? What have their birth experiences been like prior? What's her mental emotional state like when spontaneous labor happens? And spontaneous labor is your body starting the process of labor on its own. So no medical induction or any augmentation, nothing planned, which is, you know, our desire as birth workers that your body will go into labor when it's ready. We always hope that it's past the 37-week mark because we want baby to be in there and cooked and as well done as possible. But sometimes our bodies decide that we're ready for labor earlier than that. And so usually it does require different medical interventions and a different form of support. But just trusting in the body's innate instinct to kick into gear when it needs to is one of the most powerful things about what I do. Yes, you're right. There are all different ways that labor can go. I 
love that you said can be lethargic, you know, or it might start out kind of hot and heavy, kind of how the baby got in there in the first place. Oh my God. Um, and then it becomes lethargic, but it's very like our relationships are really cyclical. We're like hot and heavy and love all the touchy feely, all the things the baby is made. And then there's, there's ebbs and flows throughout our relationships and there are ebbs and flows throughout labor for sure. So what you're saying of what you're most familiar with, as far as whether it's from a movie or from friends and family, if, if labor doesn't happen at a certain time, we're going to induce or we're going to go straight to cesarean or if labor is happening but baby's not out in a certain time it's going to mean a certain cascade of interventions and I definitely see that and I see it more common in certain populations or in certain medical groups certain medical environments than others but I go in with the thought that every time I'm engaging with this birthing person it's a a clean slate right? So maybe I've worked with this particular provider a lot of times, or I've been at this particular birthing facility a lot of times. And so I have that familiarity. It's, it's all a blank slate. And I go in with the best of intentions and hoping that we get the outcomes that that birthing person desires, knowing that there's probably going to be some bumps along the way, but hopefully we get to the end point that they desire. What does it look like for an individual to do part of their laboring at home before heading to a hospital? So early labor is the longest stage of labor. I think when people, you know, this this comes up in the sitcoms or the movies too, like, well, I was in labor for 47 hours. And I mean, okay, like everybody gets that little medal, right? Like you get to say how long you were in labor and that is a token for a lot of people. But it doesn't mean 47 hours of the labor that you saw like Jim and Pam go through in the office, okay? It's not not like that. <laughs> or early labor for a first-time birthing person is very much in the, the the realm of normal for it to be 24 hours. But early labor can be like you and I. Like I could still show up and record a podcast with you because that early labor is like, yeah, we're having what I think are some contractions. There's not a real consistent pattern to them. It's not like I'm having to brace myself along the wall or catch my breath. I can still chit chat with you. I fell asleep for a couple hours. I had a lunch. A lot of times it's that early labor where people either are just in denial that this is happening or they just don't really know, especially for a first time person. They're like, well, I don't know if these are contractions. So a lot of my clients desire to labor at home and I will meet them there as their doula and labor with them at home. Or a lot of times it's like maybe some FaceTime, it's some calling, some texting throughout. Because not only is it important to be able to labor at home in your own safe, familiar environment, but people are realizing, okay, this is the last day or two where it's just you and me, or this is the last day or two where it's just us and this other little one that we have. And we're about to become a family of four. And so I want to respect that. I want them to slow down and realize that, okay, you don't need a doula there in your face. Like I want you to have my support and I'm here for you, but I want you to like take this time in your home and just enjoy the sweet spots of this labor and just let's talk through again you and your partner you know talking through what do you hope for this experience to look like like what is it going to be like when we bring the baby through the front door what will it be like when they meet so and so so to be laboring at home for a while isn't scary is a really safe and kind of smart thing to do for a lot of people they might be laboring at home for several hours and things do pick up and they're like okay i don't want to be home anymore okay i do want that pain management that i thought i was going to forego or maybe the water breaks and then that kind of shoots their anxiety through the roof and they're like even though these contractions are still manageable like water's broken so now i feel like i need to go but what can often happen is you're on a really great pattern at home and then you get there to the hospital and your body's like hold up 
There are a lot of fluorescent lights in fluorescent here. Fluorescent lights and very medicinal, sterile smell going on in here. And what's that voice? And what's that beeping? And why are we on an elevator? And all of these things. And your body's like, mm, this doesn't feel safe. So we're just going to halt. Isn't that amazing? The yeah. natural intelligence of yeah. the body to upregulate or downregulate mechanisms yeah. because it's picking up somatically yes. on what's going on. Yeah, it's like, there's a lot of cold metal around there's, me. Uh-huh, somebody's <laughs> latex glove is touching the cervix. Like, that's just a weird thing, right? And that happened to me with my last birth. I was doing beautifully and laboring at home, and, like, they were like, yeah, come on in in a couple hours. I went in, like, seven hours later. I'm like, I'm doing, I'm going to have a good lunch. I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to get ready. Like, I'm like, nothing's happening until I show up to registration, right? And then I get there, and my body's like, just kidding, you know? And so in that case, that's where we talk about labor augmentation. So your body started labor on its own and it knew what to do and it still knows what to do, but it's freaking out a bit. For some reason, it doesn't feel quite safe in that environment anymore. What does active labor mean? Ooh, active labor is where contractions are coming much closer together. The intensity is more so and the contractions are lasting for longer. And so it's in that maybe like four to six or seven centimeters dilation is kind of what's happening in that active labor phase. That's a lot of times where people have labored at home and then they decide to make the the shift to hospital. Or maybe if you went to the hospital from the get-go and you weren't very far dilated and your contractions were pretty sporadic, they'll send you back home to try and rest and take a nap and take a bath and see if things will pick up and then they'll tell you to come back when the contractions are, maybe you can't talk through them anymore. You are having to like hold your breath or tell the people around you to stop talking because it takes all of your focus to get. And then you were going to talk about augmentation. Just the amazing fact that you said that the body knows that it just has these amazing sensors going on and off and labor needing to be augmented then is different than an induction. So like I was saying from my own experience, labor started on its own at home and I labored at home and out and about, out for lunch, running errands, you know, like on my own and then got to the hospital and my body said, no, we're going to just stop this. And so So they're like, well, this has already been happening. We're going to give you a little Pitocin, which is the synthetic drug of oxytocin. Oxytocin is that beautiful hormone that does many wonderful things that's causing the uterus to contract. They're going to then augment labor with Pitocin to keep the contractions going. And I only needed a dose of it because my body was like, oh yeah, now we remember. And then it just took over. A labor induction is for whatever reason, whether it's an an elective one or for various medical reasons, starting the process of labor prior to the uterus and cervix being ready to do it on its own. So we've talked so far about post-conception, you're pregnant, Mm -hmm. moving into labor and delivery. What are three pieces of advice you might give to To anyone thinking about being pregnant or getting pregnant, is pregnant, never will be pregnant, just... Oh, yeah. Um, Do your research. So that doesn't mean you have to check out every, you know, medical journal from the library and spend your time only on medical websites, but do your research is a pretty broad statement, right? So this would apply to somebody who never desires to be pregnant, somebody who thinks they will in 10 years, and somebody who is pregnant right now. Doing your research can look like, you know, knowing what your insurance benefits are if you have insurance, knowing what your out-of-network versus in-network, you know, options are. Because a lot of times if you're seeking, um, like doula support is not an insurance-covered benefit, but many people desire it, and I think it should be covered. But, you know, learning where that out-of-pocket, you know, 
uh, expense is going to be paid for, what you have to do to navigate throughout that process. And then, you know, knowing, you know, the different providers that are available to you in your area. Do you want to do it at home? Do you want to do it at a birthing center? Do you want to go to a hospital? Then, of course, finding the professionals that go along with all of those birthing places. But also just knowing your options goes under doing your research. So you have the option to have a doula. You have the option to labor at home, to have medication, to take a class. And maybe that goes under the same thing. Get educated. So I think I kind of does go with do your research. I often suggest taking your childbirth education or like an infant feeding, whatever way you choose to feed your baby, like taking those classes outside of the birthing facility of your choice. Because it's say you're giving birth at Riverside. Those are going to be taught by Riverside labor and delivery nurses or Riverside NICU nurses. And that's all good and well. And of course, they're more than credible, but they're also going to be teaching just to what's going on within that hospital system. And so you're going to get a bit of a skewed subject subject matter, right? It's going to be pretty tailored to here's what we want to happen in this birthing facility, or this is our protocol for you. But if you're hiring somebody that's maybe through your independent doctor's office or an independent educator of some sort, they're going to give you a much broader picture of the varying, you know, the pros and cons of different things and what is maybe accessible throughout different parts of the country that actually is accessible here. We just don't know it. You know, the doctors aren't necessarily telling us or the the hospitals aren't telling us. So education and research are important. Let's just say that was one. That was one. A second piece of advice would be to find your village if you don't already have it. And I think what our village looks like as single women, then in relationship women, then married and having children, those villages change, right? And if we're blessed, we have some of those same individuals throughout those different seasons of our life. But finding your village might be bringing those close that are going to be at your birthing space. So it might be the doula, your mom, your partner, whoever. So that's a form of finding your village, but also like finding a, a trusted circle of people. And I say keep it small. Somebody that can fit around your dinner table, that's just four or six people, then just keep it small, that you're going to journey with throughout pregnancy. It doesn't mean that you have to be all pregnant at the same time and all in the exact same life stage. I think it's great to sprinkle in different experiences and different individuals. But, you know, somebody that's going to be there to check on you, check on your mental, emotional state throughout pregnancy, especially there to come and love on you and serve you and check on you after baby, because we're not meant to do any of this alone. It's certainly not meant to be left alone post part on and trying to figure it all out on our own so find your village find your people I think it's great if you have a partner and of course they're going to be part of your village but don't have your village just be them and don't have it just be your sister or just your mom because they're going to get burnt out all of these intimate relationships that we have they bring their own baggage with them we can have the most blissful relationship with our siblings and our and our lovers and whatever but there's baggage right there's history our mom is going to come in and try and mom us while we're trying to figure out how to mom a baby and we're like wait wait wait, wait. we need we got to separate it somehow so that would be advice part number two. Yes. For individuals who have not birthed children, but have many, many friends who are pregnant, who have newborns, who are in that postpartum phase, what piece of advice would you give to us and how we can best support mama? Enter that relationship, especially that newly postpartum relationship with a lot of grace. <laughs> She's not going to pick up the phone every time. She's not going to respond to the text, probably not till the third or fourth time, maybe. Don't be offended if she doesn't want the visit. And don't be offended if she does want the visit. You thought you were just bringing in a meal and you ended up being there for four hours and she asked you to do some chores, right? Like the hormonal shift that we experience throughout pregnancy, but especially postpartum is quite intense and, and making no joke about it. Like it, it can make our mental processes just not very sharp. <laughs> and then you add on sleep deprivation and less than optimal nutrition 
depression and any kind of medical complications that might come around. So enter those relationships with lots of grace and lots of love. Feed them, feed them well. Make sure that they are fed when you're there for that, even if you're just there for that one hour visit because you live across the country and you've got this time to see them. Make sure that they've got some snacks stashed in the fridge and things that they can eat one-handed, especially for breastfeeding families. You're using at least one of your hands to breastfeed a baby, but whether you're bottle feeding or pumping or doing some kind of hybrid, you often just have one hand free. So setting them up some some goodies. And then, you know, just um, checking in, checking in often. It, I live by the reminders on my phone. And so if that means you have to be kind of regimented like that, and say every Tuesday at four I'm going to check in on her then do that she probably won't reply she might not get back to you every time but she's going to appreciate that you were there and it might not be until a few months later down the road that she thinks okay she actually has been great about texting and checking in on me she really does care let me tell her that I've actually been struggling and that's why I haven't picked up the phone or that's why I didn't ever send a thank you note from this gift it's because I the days are dark and I can't really see straight and I'm tired and this baby cries and I don't know what to do with my life. I love talking about this so much. Now we haven't even talked about postpartum yet and I, and we'll get there in a moment, but I do also want to talk about what it looks like to experience or explore your village in ways maybe outside of mainstream Mm -hmm. American culture while you're pregnant or in the labor and delivery space. And what I really mean when you're pregnant is like the gift bombing (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's like all we talk about is baby clothes and all the gadgets and we spend thousands and thousands of dollars and hours and hours yeah. <laughs> on like looking into that stuff right mm-hmm. it, it kind of blows my mind a little bit what are other ways that people can build a stronger relationship between mommy and her village mm. that doesn't involve spending money so we can go back to what the advice I was giving to people and, and saying, you know, know your options, do your research. So just because we aren't the one having a baby, maybe we have no desire to have a baby, but everybody around us is doing it. Look into what options are in your area where you all live and, and finding ways to support her. So yes, you have to spend some money and, and make her a meal, but like you're going to be making yourself a meal anyway. Feeding people is just such an easy way to love on people. It's such it's a need. That's my love have. language. I know. I, oh, um, I'm just waiting any... to have some kind of medical thing happen to me and then have you come just to feed me. I know. Not, I don't want to manifest Funny that. story is Kelly invited me over to her house for dinner, but I interpreted the message as me feeding her. And I was like, wait, 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 did you read that wrong? No, we're inviting you. And I was like, well, because wait. I was just so like, she's excited. So excited. Yeah. So I look forward to the day that I get to feed you yes. and your children. Yes. But feeding yeah, food feeding. is such a, a act of love. It is. And what about mother's blessings? Absolutely. So I had what we called a blessing way for my my second birth, and it was friends came together, and I didn't need the baby gear, right? And I actually didn't want that. I had had the baby, uh, you know, a, a toddler at that point, and I was pregnant again, and I just said, I just want to like hang out with the people that are gonna be around me right after, and that I am feeling comfortable with throughout this pregnancy, and I want some words of affirmation, some prayer over me, and maybe a couple new sets of burp cloths or something, you know, the things that you know are worn out that you don't necessarily keep from one kid to another but I it was more about like bringing they brought gifts for me I didn't ask for that like somebody you know coordinated this for me but yeah the mother blessing is a beautiful idea that is more it's commonplace in other parts of the world for sure but it is a focus on the pregnant person 
And so it's pampering her. It might be, you know, you know, doing a foot bath or doing a foot massage. It might be doing body oiling. It might be doing an, like arts and crafts together as a group that she puts up in the baby's room or that she brings to the birthing space with her. There might be words of affirmation that if you're in a group that's praying, you might pray it over her. You might just write it in a card. You might bring gifts that are for her. So this is for your first night out after a baby. And here's a new tube of lipstick and some perfume. Or here's a DoorDash gift card because we know that in the middle of the night you're going to need some nourishment or we're going to be bringing you meals a lot of times at these either baby showers or mother blessing they'll set up like a registry or like a little sign up sheet so that you can sign up to bring meals to them or doing chores for them so if it's lawn work it's running errands it's getting kid to and from preschool it's walking the dog wanting to focus on what mama's experience is going to be like through the last bit of her pregnancy through that labor and delivery space and then thinking through what she's going to need postpartum. You can do it every kind of which way. I happen to have attended a beautiful mother blessing that Marina hosted, and it was that's how we met. It's just a beautiful way to shower that person with love, to bring a spotlight to the magnificent thing that her body is doing. At this particular one, there weren't any gifts presented to her the gift was corny as it sounds like our presence like speaking those words of wisdom to her it was a group of women who came from all different walks of life different experiences with parenthood or of course being parented right and just showing her love quite frankly and so I challenge people to think really differently about all of the hours and money that we spend in putting in a registry together putting together the perfect nursery the perfect you know diaper bag and car seat stroller baby wearing combo those things are all good and well but the baby really doesn't need very much your life really needs a whole lot after and the birthing person really needs a lot and so if you're willing to spend that much time and money investing in looking for the perfect cloth diaper and the perfect wrap to wear on your first walk around the neighborhood then i would hope that you're also willing to invest the time and money into looking into various forms of support so yes a doula <laughs> A labor doula, a postpartum doula, pay for somebody to get that education, pay for them to see specialists in their postpartum recovery. So chiropractic care, pelvic floor therapy, just thinking outside of the box, because like I said, there's just not a whole lot of things that baby really needs, but there's a lot of ways that we could do better as a society to help prepare that person for what life is going to be like when baby is actually here. What is some advice that you might offer to the birthing person's partner yes. during pregnancy? And maybe this is something that the birthing person, maybe they take this yeah. to their partner and, they, and they're like, these are a couple things I would like you to keep in mind during the pregnancy journey together. Yeah, I mean, keeping in mind that I'm just a big education, always learning person, but the childbirth education, the breastfeeding class, the newborn care class, the formula making class, whatever way you're feeding your baby, that's not just for the person who's pregnant. Educate yourself. For the, the partners of pregnant people out there who are male, I apologize that your options out there are not that great. There, a lot of them are really dumbed down. And I, I, I long for the day that the books or the, you know, the podcast geared towards male partners and dads are, are top of the line, but not many of them are. Wow. Um, so it might look like listening to a podcast that typically a woman would listen to or a birthing person would listen to, but you're going to be learning along the way. So learn alongside with your pregnant person attend those classes with her, have those conversations with her. I don't want you to be a person who it's right after baby is born or a couple months after baby is born where it really dawns on you what just happened. 
you know, be a, be a very active participant in the process, in the pregnancy. You were very much an active participant in getting them to the pregnant state. So carry on with that level of fist pumping in the background. (laughs) Like don't break something in the process. Uh, So that's a really big one. Another way to support your, your pregnant person would be to, you know, offer her lots of grace and compassion and forgiveness there. You know, I, I don't love the, the bad rap that pregnancy hormones are actually just female hormones get. Our hormones are really magnificently designed and there for a reason, but there, there is a massive hormonal shift when you're pregnant and especially immediately postpartum. And it is true that a lot of times we just don't really know what's happening to us or can't really articulate what's going on. Please don't think that she's, you know, quote unquote, losing her mind or just, you know, having pregnancy brain. Like, let's have some compassion and some interest in her to see like, well, how does, how does that make her feel? Or why do you think that this is happening? And it's not just as petty as like accommodate all the cravings that she has and rub her feet. Those are part of pregnancy, but that's again, something you would see on a sitcom. It's not, it's way deeper than that. So again, going back and just like I was saying a second ago, like, being an active participant throughout the whole process and showing her that you're more than invested, not only invested in like preparing ahead of time and educating yourself, but invested in her and the changes that are going on in her body that are going to bring forth this new life, this massive change in your life. Those are the, the things that come to mind first. I mean, a wealth of wisdom. Okay, moving to labor and delivery, what are some golden strands that I might remember, you know, when I'm going into labor and delivery, what are some things that you might find to be really important to keep in mind for the birthing person? My clients hear me say all this all the time that labor is as much a mental game as a physical one, if not more. Obviously, labor is very physical, right? But your mindset, as in many things in life, but your mindset is going to impact how you process the discomfort of labor, how Mm -hmm. you process the the process of pushing a baby out or the process of having a cesarean, and then what life is like immediately postpartum. If you are walking in with through-the-roof anxiety and, and fear and just dreading things, you're going to take that into your your birthing space and it's usually not in the midst of you already starting labor that you just wave a magic wand and your mindset has changed you have to do the work that's sometimes why people will hire a doula to be that guide that says okay this might be my first pregnancy but i know this doula has had umpteen experiences not only umpteen experiences with other birthing families and i'm just gonna ask her what do i need to do in month one what do i need to do in month two to prepare to do that mental physical work to get prepared for things. So mind, mindset, knowing that there are a million different variables and ways that a labor can go, a labor and delivery can go, but your mind has to be adjustable, flexible, but you can do a lot in the back end to try and prepare. I'm not saying that you're going to like manifest this most beautiful experience because you told yourself this day in and day out over X amount of months, but there is great power in that. So if we're living in a positive affirmation space, we're going to bring that into the space, right? There still might be interventions that we didn't expect or different twists and turns that we didn't expect. The foundation is positive and surrounding yourself, going back to what I was saying about build that village, bring around the people whose energy like improves your energy. We don't have any time for people who suck the energy, right? What is a piece of advice that you might bestow upon to the partner of the birthing person during labor and delivery? We're getting juicy. Stay with it. 
it's a lot. It's a lot to watch the person that you love going through things. And like I had mentioned before, like it, it's happening to the birthing person. So there's no, there's not much choice other than to just like be in the moment, right? When you're in, when you're pregnant or when you're, you're in labor and, and pushing out a baby, but it can take a little bit more time for the partner to get on board, but just, just stay with it. Like it's hard to watch your loved one going through this, whether they're medicated or unmedicated, you know, that it can be long. It can be, it's just unpredictable there's a there is a level of discomfort or pain associated with it right so try and stay in the moment try and be as present with her mentally emotionally physically as possible and ask the questions so if you don't have somebody like a doula in the room your labor and delivery nurse is an angel on earth I love labor and delivery nurses ask them they're not going to think that your question is stupid or silly they're going to probably appreciate that you're a really engaged partner and that you don't know what that medical word means because why would you know why would you know what that abbreviation means or why we're taking this very drastic turn from what you had hoped for if you don't fully understand what's going on and it might be that you know that labor and delivery nurse or that medical provider gave the information to you and your partner looked you both in the eyes at the same time but it might not be until you ask the question that your partner is like oh well now I get it I would say to the birthing people, you've got to ask the questions too and make sure that you really understand what you're consenting to and what you're nodding your head to. Being in labor is not any time for anybody to be like accommodating people, right? No accommodations. Like you need to just be like, I don't understand that or that doesn't set right with me or that's exactly the opposite of what I said that I desired. So you speaking up for your partner in that way, you as the birthing person speaking up in that way. So yeah, my one one thing I would say to that partner of the laboring person is stay with it. Try and stay present. Don't take things personally. So if she's more of like a type A, very decisive, you know, clearly communicated person in her day to day, she's probably not going to be like that in certain parts of labor. And that can frustrate you or confuse you. Or she could become very direct where she was not like that in pre-pregnancy or pre-labor. And she might cut you off or she might cuss you out or she might just like have just these varying responses that you're not accustomed to. Like, don't, don't get your feelings hurt. She's working through a lot. She's not trying to navigate and manage your emotions, right? You've got to take care of that yourself. So as a doula, I'm often doula-ing the partner, you know, like checking in, making sure, okay, you need to sit down because you've lost all the color in your face. I know you say you're fine, or I know you said you're not hungry, but I'm going to tell you to leave for 20 minutes, go outside, eat the sandwich while you make some laps, let it digest, and then come back, okay? You know, my, my number one concern is always the, the pregnant and laboring person, but I got to pay attention to their support person too. You know, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself in the midst of labor. It's not being selfish. I mean, sometimes I can be a little bit selfish. It's not being selfish for you to say, I need to step outside of the room or I need to go get some nourishment. That's another reason why having doula support is so wonderful because you know that there's a trusted friend in the room that's got some medical experience that you can take that 20, 30, 60 minutes away from your partner and know that she's still in really good hands, that she's not left alone and that you yourself can take care of yourself. What's it like for you to be in such highly energetic some of the most special moments, it could also be some of the most painful and traumatic moments in people's lives. That is your, your day to day. I mean, energetically, do you have to sleep for like three days? And I know that you were at a birth yesterday mm -hmm. and you're so eloquently speaking and engaging. How is that for you energetically? You know, I feel like it's just only in the last year or so that I'm really letting that take hold or like really beginning to acknowledge 
energetically what that does to me. And it's been through some really significant conversations with friends like you and other people who are in the birth world. It was with a a dear like long-term client that I had, a postpartum client where he was just very interested in the kind of back end of stuff that I do. And it was some of the questions that he would ask. And I'm like, oh yeah, like I do hold a lot of, (laughs) a lot of hearts and people's minds in my hands at any given time. You're holding this space. You're creating Mm -hmm. space for the most important moment in so many people's lives. Yeah. Going from no baby to a baby, bringing in a whole new human being into the world and then learning how to parent it and raise it into a decent human being. That's pretty big deal. And you can look at it from all different kinds of, you know, spiritual, religious faith practices, faith backgrounds, and I just say that it's a very thin space. So wherever you land on the the spirituality spectrum, it's something other than the life that we know as you and I are sitting here today. It's something other. It's like there's something in the making. So quite literally the pregnancy, the, the laboring, working to get that baby out. That's the in the making phase. Then the baby is here and it's just this very thin dreamlike state they are finally getting to see this baby that they made together and that they've wondered about for all of these months maybe they didn't know if it was a boy or a girl maybe they weren't sure of the name until they saw their face and then there's this beautiful transformation that I get to see that I've been helping guide them towards all this time and then there's the after right so there's the before it's the the making of the baby the the gestating, the the carrying and the birthing the baby. Then there's that little, that thin, beautiful, indescribable space of when the baby's here. And then they transition into like, what's life after? So to answer that initial question, how do I care for myself? Or like, what does that look like energetically for me? Sometimes it does look like I need a lot more sleep after a birth or I have to cancel a lot of stuff in my week. It might not be because I'm physically away and not able to keep with my commitments, but I just, I need a lot more downtime. And then sometimes I am so energized and there was such a magnificent outcome that I'm like going for three days and then I'll usually crash. How do you best take care of yourself? How do you best refill your bucket for you, Miss Kelly Blinn? I'm a really extroverted person. So Yes, I was at a long birth and was really tired when I came to meet you today, but I knew that this would energize me. So when I'm saying like sometimes after a birth, I have to clear my schedule for a day or two. I'm I'm really mindful of keeping things on the schedule that are going to fill me up. That is some self-awareness that came with my 30s and beyond. When I talk about keeping your village small or having your village when you are pregnant and and postpartum, my village continues to be very, very selective in those that I choose to do life with and that I choose to share these moments with. So, you know, I love a good long Epsom soak after a a labor and I did that for over an hour yesterday and, you know, just, just took time to just maybe doze in and out of sleep and rehydrate and just like center myself. So that's been a common practice after being away at a birth. I take notes throughout the labor just so that I can kind of relay that back to the client but I am trying to be better about writing a reflection about the birth so whether it's something that I just need to process from a birth worker standpoint or questions that I want to go and google or ask the medical provider about later and then just also seeing it from through my eyes like sharing that with them 
because I'm seeing it in a really different way than they are. I was going to ask you what it looked like to process as a third party the birth. So that's cool that you use writing as a tool for that. Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes when I'm jotting down those quick notes throughout the labor, whether in a notebook or, you know, in a note app on my phone, I'll put little thoughts. And I did this quite a bit yesterday at the birth, things I want to remember, little reflections. Because, you know, when I'm with a client who's medicated, it looks a lot different than unmedicated. And when I say medicated, it's epidural. Little side note. I hate when people say natural or unnatural birth. I think what people it all mean natural. Like, it all natural. <laughs> that was a very like, did you watch Parks and Rec? Of course. Yes. <laughs> John Ralphie <Ramfiamo. laughs> Um, Yes, it's all natural. So I say medicated, unmedicated. So when I'm, you know, journeying through labor with a client who's medicated, it it definitely has a different, like a certain look, a certain feel, and then a very different one when they're unmedicated, if there's a partner on board or if there's not, if that partner is engaged or if they're not. And so that also makes what my recovery time looks like a lot different after a birth, kind of what that birthing space was like. Sure. So Case by case, truly. So later today. Length duration, intensity. Yeah. Were there any complications? Was this a high risk pregnancy that we knew was going to have complications? Did complications arise out of the blue? Um, Was everything wonderful until baby came and then something happened with mom or baby? Like all of that stuff. It all makes what my immediate self-care looks like different. Just thinking about how much energy goes into being the support system, being a birth worker, as your regular day-to-day, it just, it makes you hold a lot of respect and honor. I just think birth workers, nurses, teachers, I think about these professions and these are the people that are, have the capacity to change the world. There's this quote that I love and it's, if you want to change the world, start with the babies, start Mm. with the kids. And that's literally what you're doing. You're one of the first primary influences on mommy and baby. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's such an honor it is such an honor and it's not something that I take for granted. It is such a joy. Like yesterday I was with this client and baby was, mm, I don't know, 38 minutes old or something. And <laughs> truly, and you know, went to, went on mom's chest immediately, had beautiful uninterrupted skin to skin time. And a lot of times they'll put a diaper and a hat right on baby, but they didn't put a diaper on baby this time, which I loved because that means she was just even less interfered with. Right. And I said to mom, you know, she, I know she's got the hat on. Is she wearing a diaper? Have you gotten peed on? And she's like, no, no diaper. And I was like, oh, how do you feel about it? Do you want? She's like, yeah, let's just put one on. And I flipped that baby over off of mom's chest, put on her first diaper. And she is like as fresh as fresh, right? And so you're right. Like I I often don't interact with the baby right after the birth. Like I don't touch them. I want that to be this very sweet, special time for the family. But when I get to do it, I'm like, she was just inside you. And I just put on her little first booty diaper. I mean, just amazing. <laughs> and you're right. We, we have to start with the babies. And I have never thought about it from the, the context of that quote. But I, yeah, I guess I am doing that a little bit. It's amazing. Two things. One, I'm watching this new Netflix show. I think it's called Chimps. King of the Chimps. Okay. Chimp Kingdom. Yeah. Life Great. of a Chimp. A little Planet plug. of the Chimp. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Something along the lines of that. And it is the best thing I've ever watched. Ooh, I'm I, excited. And watching the baby chimps with their mamas. Yes. I, I, Justin and I, are we squeal the entire show. <laughs> it's too much. Yeah. It's too much. And, you know, those are just our primate brothers and sisters. I know. The primate area at the zoo is my favorite. 
it's, and amazing. it's such a learning opportunity. Too. It so is. like I said, I'm just like an educational junkie. Like I'm just learning. <laughs> and if I can see a mama and a baby, which is not very often here at the Columbus Zoo, but I mean, when I can, or if I'm, oh, you know, I'm going to watch that show now. Um, oh my goodness. It's just phenomenal God, to watch so them. Good. Number two, um, I would like just to touch a little bit if we can, mm-hmm. if we have time, mm-hmm. I'd like to touch a little bit on postpartum. Yeah. And talk to me about postpartum a little bit from the, the guys in the lens of your perspective as a birth worker. What is postpartum? Postpartum is not just maybe the first six weeks. And when I say that, like a lot of people are like, oh, I know I have to go back for my six-week checkup after birth. That is not all that postpartum is. Six weeks is a relatively arbitrary number, but it's it's set that way because our our bodies bleed for roughly six weeks after we have a baby, whether a vaginal or a cesarean delivery. And it's because, and a lot of people don't even put these two things together, it's because of whatever the size of your placenta, which is the average size of a dinner plate, some can be smaller, some can be much larger, that's the size boo-boo you have on the inside of your uterus, which is why you bleed for those six weeks. Isn't that wild, people? It's a big old boo-boo. So we have to allow for that to heal. As well as your visceral organs moving back into place. Just that. Just that small detail, yes. (laughs) Um, So postpartum is not just those six weeks. You know, when I talk about postpartum, whether in the, the realm of like maternal mental health or certainly the physical, emotional health, I'm roughly referring to the first 12 months. I mean, my youngest baby is 10 years old (laughs) and I'm still postpartum, right? (laughs) But so technically, like after you've had a kid, I guess you're always postpartum, but um, there's different, you know, schools of thought of of how long that phase is. A popular phrase right now is the fourth trimester. So that's about the the first three to four months after a baby is born. And that's when they're they're still in that newborn phase and they shift into the infant phase. They are just getting their, wits about them that they weren't in utero then they're not in utero anymore my favorite way to look at the fourth trimester is to think of the newborn as just a live wire nervous system Mm -hmm. and what's really cool is that a newborn cannot differentiate the difference between itself and its mom Mm -hmm. as far as the newborn is concerned there is no difference yeah they're like a little barnacle of, oh, wow. What a great the, way to put yeah. that. And they're in like the an extension way. of you. They're, they're like a, a barnacle, which yeah. I just learned about certain barnacles that <laughs> if you take a piece of a barnacle off and you fly it clear across the world from its mother barnacle, they will still spore at the same time. What? They will, like, Why do you know these things? <laughs> because I just learned it and it blew my goddamn mind. Yeah. But that's the same idea as the newborn. So those first, and that's 90 days. And in so many traditions, specifically in Asia, there's this idea that 30 days in the bed, 30 days near the bed, 30 days after that, you're still in the house. Beautiful. And I even asked Justin, I said, just so you know, I'm going hard for 90 days. Yes. Get on board or, you know, this is how we're going to do it because it is truly a healing in recovery time. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So we're, you know, we want to account for all of the physical healing that needs to take place. So I was just talking about the postpartum bleeding, but yes, I mean, if you have a vaginal delivery or a cesarean delivery, those postpartum healing experiences are going to look a lot different. We talked earlier about the importance of nourishment. And so it's not just like those comfort foods and potato chips and bagels, which have their place, but like having foods that are going to replenish the things that we have lost throughout pregnancy, things that we're, you know, putting out into the world when we're nursing or even those hormones are still present and still 
quite out of whack if we're not nursing. It takes a long time for all of that to be regulated. So postpartum has a different definition or kind of a different look for every family that I serve. But it's when I say as a postpartum doula, I come in and I, I take care of life so that you don't have to. I say that. So basically all you're doing is working on yourself, nourishing yourself and your baby and letting me take care of the other things or the other people in the house take care of the other things. But I also say that it's me helping you transition to life with a new person in the home. So it might not be your first baby, but you know, maybe I see a lot of people hire postpartum doulas after uh, like for second baby and a friend, a mutual friend that we have took the time to really do a lot of the mental, emotional work and processing what her first birth and postpartum experience was like. and was like, I didn't love that. Let me read do. Let me do things a little bit healthier, a little bit more holistic and, and, and to in turn be happier and healthier in the end. And we have seen the transformation. She has done the work. Shout out. You she, know, who we're talking about your glowing girl. <laughs> she has done the work and she's here to tell other families, maybe don't do it the way I did it first time. Don't make yourself have to have a second time or it's a redo. Like what if our society looked at postpartum like this friend of ours or like like I or like you look at it and from day one baby one we prioritize that care and that slowing down Mm. that getting reacquainted to your very physical space in the world but also like who you are in the world and when we talked about babies being like barnacles my kids and I have been watching the thing on Disney plus like about the whales like a four or five part series about whales and when you think about whales and dolphins you know those babies swim side by side with their mama and they're attached essentially you're like are they magnetically like they're just so close that's what our babies are like right they don't understand being away and if a mama and a baby whale are separated i mean the baby if they don't find either its mother whale or some other animal similar that will come along and adopt it it will perish because they don't know to be separated. They don't understand what that is. And that's very true for us too. You know, it's amazing. We are amazing. What is a piece of advice you might offer to a birthing person postpartum? I have more than one thing. So keep your expectations really low and really realistic. You're not going to feel the same mentally, emotionally. And I don't say that from a negative standpoint. You are a, a transformed, very different individual from not having a baby to having a baby. I've said a lot of times throughout our conversation, like to have grace, but really to have grace for yourself, which I find to be the hardest thing. I can sometimes show grace to other people. I'm not great at it, quite frankly, but I suck at giving it to myself. So keeping those realistic or those expectations just really minimal and realistic. And so like when I engage with a postpartum client, whenever I come in for that day's shift, I just say, okay, what are like three things that you, that you want to do today? And so usually in like a three or four or five hour shift, I can help her accomplish three things that a is there's the psychological win of, yes, I got three things checked off today, but also they're really low things. Like I want you to hold my baby so I can take a long shower and not worry about her crying. I want to go to bed tonight and know that the kitchen counters and the sink is cleared out. And I want to have you watch me give the baby a bath, even though this isn't our first bath. And just tell me if I'm doing it right or do I need some pointers here and there? I'm like, okay, done. Having somebody come along that is 
a trusted person to help show you. And a lot of times what I do as a doula and, or an educator or a postpartum doula, I'm a glorified cheerleader. You already like innately know the things to do or not do to keep a human alive, right? But you just need somebody to come along and pat you on the back, maybe listen to your questions, be a sounding board because you just need to cry because you just are feeling all the things. And just really at the end, be like, you already know what you're doing. You already know what to do. You are doing it. I understand the anxiety that comes along with having this new person and the unknowns and the overwhelming responsibility, but but you are doing these things. You have it within you. You have to learn to trust yourself in a whole new way, postpartum. Well said. What is a piece of wisdom you would offer to the birthing person's partner or someone that's sharing your household postpartum? postpartum. I'll speak to the partners first, and then I'll talk to other people that are around for support. So if you're not already a partner that thinks ahead and really appreciates the thing that your partner does at home, start thinking now and then proactively get the shit done so that she doesn't have to worry about it. I mean, quite frankly, a lot of us take our partners for granted and different roles that they play and the things that they get done. And that's what makes our household work. That's what makes our family run, right? But in the postpartum period to really feel like that person who just gave birth so that she can really have the physical space, but also like the mental space to truly unwind and heal. Think proactively about, okay, she normally does all the laundry in the house. So that's going to become my role for amount of time. I'm not even going to like ask her what needs to be done or ask her if she wants me to do it. I'm just going to do it. She normally would be the one, you know, making the grocery list and, you know, picking up the groceries and doing the meal planning. So, and maybe that's not your cup of tea, but you need to find some people that it is their cup of tea. You need to call the Kellys and the Marinas and we will come and feed you, um, you know, and we will help. We'll show you how to make some basic meals. We'll show you how to just have some staples all the time in the fridge and the freezer and in the pantry so that you can just just get those things for your family and for yourself ready like at the drop of a hat. So thinking ahead and just kind of taking some of those responsibilities off of her plate. I talked about, I think that it's really important for partners or people that are going to be with you immediately postpartum or in the labor space to go through that education with you. So I say do postpartum preparation because I mean, that's a whole other podcast that we could talk about. But a lot of times people are like, oh, they're sending me home with this baby. Like, What, what do I do with it? I know we spend... A yeah. year and a half planning a wedding. Girl. <laughs> yes. And, and we don't think about what happens. Dollars and you know, and 50 st- grand on a oh, wedding. And we Lord. don't. And a dress that you wear for six weeks. I mean, don't even, not six weeks, just a dress that you wear for six hours. Yeah. And we don't even think about six weeks of postpartum, right? We don't talk about that. And so getting getting to the point where you have thought, what's our relationship going to be like once this baby comes and how am I going to have to change my role or just step up in the home, but also, you know, thinking through what it's going to be like for you as an individual and how that's going to change you. And then to the people who might not have a partner or are going to have maybe um, somebody additional in the home or, you know, around postpartum. I mean, much of the preparation, I think, would be the same for them. Taking a load off of that person so they don't have to do the housework. Being there to take them places. You know, ideally, we shouldn't be driving for the first couple weeks or more. Hardly anybody heeds that advice. So being their personal Uber for that recovery period. A lot of the doing the chores, no one should be lifting anything heavier than a baby until the bleeding has stopped. Hardly anybody listens to that advice. Like I say, as a, as a postpartum doula, you help them take care of their life so that they don't have to. It kind of sounds like you have this theme right now of slowing it down. Oh, so as a support yes. system, it might be wise for you to help them continue a state of slowing things down. Absolutely. Without guilt, without shame, without yeah. 
know like, um, well, I'm doing this for you. So when you're, you know, recovered, I expect X, Y, and Z. None of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's the simplest, you know, the golden rule. So take that to the nth degree, treating them how you would like to be treated when you have just brought a new person into the world, right? It's a major life moment. Having a cesarean is a major surgery. Giving birth vaginally is a major event. And your body is not going to be just like peachy keen after, um, nor will your mental emotional state. So yes, we, it goes back to the golden rule we were taught in preschool or beyond. And how do you want to be treated when something major just happened to you? You are so amazing. I think that this episode is so important for people that have experienced birth. If you're around birth, if your sister or friend is giving birth, it just offered so much goodness. And I am just so grateful that you sat here and bestowed your wisdom upon to all of us. Thank you. Because I find you so incredible. You're just so incredible. And I'm so grateful to have you not only in my life as a friend, but also to take the time to sit and share. Oh my gosh. To share your knowledge. Like this is gold. This is gold. Thank you for having me. It's really an honor to get to do this work. I call it work, but it doesn't feel like that. Even on the long, when I'm at a, away from my family for days at a time and no sleep and what, it doesn't feel like work. It's truly this it's magical thing. Yeah, I, I'm starting to like settle into the fact that it's a calling. I think I wrestled with that for a while, but it's this undeniable joy. And I hope I get to do it for a lot longer and, and serve more people. So thank you for like wanting to have this conversation because I, of course, think it's really important and powerful to have, but I... I'm grateful for the chance. Are you accepting clients? I am. Tell us about where people can find you. Yeah. So Kelly Blinn is my name. K-E-L-L-I. B as in boy. L-I-N-N. So just kellyblinn.com. And you can fill out the contact form on my website if you have any questions about any of the services that I provide. I'm especially teaching classes throughout the rest of the year. I try to protect my sanity and my family life and only take one or two birth clients. So I only have like one or two openings left in 2023. Mm, Tidbit, like don't wait too long to get a doula like some books I'm learning from other clients that have hired me some books will recommend that it when you hit your third trimester you look for a doula and many of us are already booked months before myself included so I joked earlier about sometimes I think they call me and hire me when they're peeing on the stick but I mean at least you got somebody secured right so look up kellyblend.com and I would love to just help answer any of your questions and just engage with you to get to talk about my favorite subject yay baby yay <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thanks, Callie. Thank you.